Let's look to God in prayer. God, our Heavenly Father, we seek your help this morning. Be with me, Lord, as I bring your word. And let me know your help and aid as I bring your word. Help me to faithfully proclaim your word. And for those who are listening, I pray, Lord, that their hearts and minds may be open to your word. It is not the power of my word. It is not my eloquence. Lord, it is you who can convict people. And again, I pray, Lord, that you may be with this church as we look at you, open your word. Help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are beginning another sermon series from today and it is from the book of Esther. God willing, I'll be preaching once a month hereafter, beginning with this book. And do you know where the book of Esther is? Ezra, Nehemiah, and then comes Esther, just before the book of Job. So I think uh, Sunday school, as we grew up in Sunday school, we would have gone to the book of Esther. For uh, those who are not even familiar with the book of Esther, I hope we'll be able, able to have a good understanding once we finish this book of Esther. The book of Esther is about the Jews who decided to stay in Persia after others had gone back to Jerusalem. It is a story of the deliverance of God's people. And not just the deliverance, but the complete and total reversal of the plight that resulted in life instead of death. And let me give you some context for this book. When Cyrus the Persian king conquered the Babylonian kingdom, the Jews had been in exile, living in exile for more than 50 years. In the first year of the reign of Cyrus, God stirred the heart of Cyrus and Cyrus issued a decree permitting the Jews to leave Persia and return to their homeland and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And following this decree, nearly 50,000 Jews left Persia and went to Judea under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Seshbazar. When Cyrus issued this decree, many of the Jews who were living in Persia did not want to go back to Jerusalem. They decided to stay in Persia itself because life in Persia was not difficult. By the time the decree was issued by Cyrus, most of the Jews living in exile belonged to a generation that had never known Judah firsthand. They were people who were born in exile and they were very much the people of Persia. They did not long for their homeland 
and this of course is understandable because Jerusalem was in ruins who would like to go back to a place which is in ruins and rebuild it and it was the older generation and a few spiritual people among the idealistic people among the younger generation who wanted to go back to their homeland and rebuild their homeland and the book of Esther is not about those who went to their homeland the book of Esther is about those people who preferred to stay in Persia rather than go back to Jerusalem Esther is a peculiar book when I say peculiar there are many, many peculiar things in the book but I want to highlight two things in the book of Esther the first thing is in the, in the book of Esther God is not mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther you can't find the word Yahweh or Elohim anywhere in the book of Esther but although the name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther by the time you go through the story of Esther you will find that God is always at work God is directing everything according to his appointed end nothing escapes his notice nothing happens except through him and according to his will further in the book of Esther there are no miracles there are no visions there are no supernatural events anywhere not even a mention of a miracle not even mention of a vision not even mention of a supernatural event in the book of Esther everywhere in the Bible elsewhere in the Bible look at all the books before the book of Esther you will read about God coming to his people in extraordinary ways you see God responding in extraordinary spectacular ways you read about the pillar of fire you see about the ten plagues you read about the parting of the Red Sea but in the book of Esther what we see is God's ordinary providence at work his ordinary providence moves flawed and undistinguished people to the right place at the right time to establish God's purposes and that is what the book of Esther is about but doesn't our world look like the book of Esther I have not seen anything in my life like the ten plates I have not seen a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud God has not led me through a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud I have not seen any sea parted, parted before me I have not seen even one dead person come back to life I have not seen a person born blind regaining his sight instantaneously I have not seen a few loaves of bread and fish feeling a, feeling a, feeding a multitude of people I have not seen a preacher walking on water is your experience any different from me have you seen any of these things have you seen the sea parting before you or have you seen the pillar of fire 
I believe that probably you are like me. We are in a world where we do not see those spectacular miracles which we see in the Old Testament. And that way we are, are at a time just like the book of Esther. Have you wondered when evil is advancing, why does not God intervene in noticeable ways just like he was doing in the book of Exodus? obvious ways why does not God intervene why does it seem as if he is absent if he is present why is he so inconspicuous I believe that you would have also had this question in your heart sometimes why God is not doing those things why I don't see those things happening in my life when God is working in ordinary ways we think Probably God is not there, but He is. When we see the ten plagues or the parting of the Red Sea, we see, wow, God is at work. But when we see a king drunk in the book of Esther, I don't think anyone often says, wow, the king is drunk. No, we don't say that. But God is at work too, even when the king gets drunk in the book of Esther. God's silence is not absence. God's hiddenness is not abandonment. He is working out his promises even when it seems he is nowhere to be found. And that is what the book of Esther is about. The book of Esther shows that God can be trusted even when he cannot be seen. And that we must learn to live by faith and not by sight. So this is a small introduction to the book of Esther. And let us turn to the book of Esther. As I said, where is Esther? Esra, Nehemiah and Esther. So let me read chapter 1. Uh, there are some words which probably I, I may be pronouncing incorrectly. We do not know those words. So bear with me. In the days of Ahasuerus, Agasuras reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the capital. In the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and the governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl and precious stones. Drinks were served in gold, golden vessels, vessels of different kinds and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. 
and drinking was according to his edict this edict there is no compulsion for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired queen vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to king ahasuerus on the seventh day when the hearts of the king were merry with wine he commanded mehuman bista harbona bikta and abakta zithar and karkas the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of king ahasuerus to bring queen vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty for she was lovely to look at but queen vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs at this the king became enraged and his anger burned within him then the king said to the wise men who knew the times for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment the men next to him being karshina shetar admatha tarshis meris mersena and memukan the seven princes of persia and media who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom according to the law what is to be done to queen vashti because she has not performed the command of king ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs then memukan said in the presence of the king and the officials not only against the king has queen vashti gone wrong done wrong but also against all the officials and all the people who are in the provinces of king ahasuerus for the queen's behavior will be made known to all women causing them to look at the husband with contempt since they will say king ahasuerus commanded queen vashti to be brought before him and she did not come this very day the noble women of persia and media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's officials and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty if it please the king let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the persians and the medes so that it may not be repealed that vashti is never again to come before king ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she so when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom for it is vast all women will give honor to their husbands high and low alike this advice pleased the king and the princes and the king did as memukan proposed he sent letters to all the royal provinces to every province in its own script and to every people in its own language that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people <clears throat> the writer tells us that the events of this book took place during the reign of king agasuris of persia who is better known by his greek name xerxes 
And King Agasuras, the Persian king, ruled over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. I grew in a time when we did not have internet. Okay, that's why when my, I did my schooling, no internet. So we used to have an atlas where we have all those maps. I do not know this generation whether they have an atlas at home. Oh, in case you do not have the atlas, you can go and look at the internet and look at what are the countries from India to Ethiopia. Look at how many countries are there. And here it says 127 provinces were there from India to Ethiopia. And King Agasuras of Persia was the king. His kingdom was that big. His kingdom was bigger than David. His kingdom was bigger than Solomon in all its glory. And his kingdom was so vast, so that people thought that the sun never set upon it. So vast a kingdom. Have you wondered what rich gifts God has given to men who do not know him? Here is a pagan king and here he has a vast kingdom, 127 provinces and God has given to this pagan king a kingdom, an earthly rich. However riches the earthly blessings are, they are no comparison to the gift of salvation which God has given to his people. And Persia, when I say Persia, I'm not sure whether the young generation know what Persia is. Persia is modern day Iran. And Persia was a multicultural place because there were a mix of nations which had been conquered and the people had been resettled there and therefore it was a multicultural place. So when Ahasuerus came to the throne, Persia was in conflict with the Greeks, the other superpower of that time. There were only two superpowers during that era, that time. One was Persia and the other were the Greeks and these two superpowers were in conflict and when Ahasuerus came to power, Persia was in conflict with Greeks. His father, that is Agasura's father, some years back had tried to capture Athens, the Greek capital, but he was defeated. And now Persia and Agasuras was preparing for the next campaign against the Greeks. So the book of Esther begins with two banquets, or two parties, which was given by King Agasuras in the city called Susa. In fact, uh, Persia had four capitals and Susa is one of the capital. And in this capital city of Susa, we read about two banquets in the beginning of the book of Esther. And it was in the third year of the reign of King Agasuras that this banquet is happening. The Bible does not tell us the reason behind the banquet. We don't see the reason given in the book of Esther. But historical sources point out that Agasuras called a banquet 
in 483 BC before the Persian invasion of Greece. That happened in 483 BC. That is what we see, read in history. Banquets were deliberate attempts to draw attention to the king's might so that the king can show everything was under his control. And that was the reason why banquets were held. You know the book of Esther, uh, book of Daniel? I think many people would be familiar with the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel, we come across a banquet given by another king called Belshazzar. When Belshazzar was giving that banquet, the enemies were outside the city gates. Just outside the city gates. But Belshazzar wanted to convey to the nobles in Babylon that he was invincible and he was under control and no one can defeat him and he wanted to give an impression though the armies surrounding a city he wanted to give an impression and what did he do? He held a banquet because banquet was a means of conveying to the people that the king had the power he was a superpower he had all authority and we know from the book of Daniel that Belshazzar was killed that very night. As I said earlier, the Persian kingdom was a kingdom which encompassed many people, many people groups. They, people spoke many different languages, they had different ethnicities, they had different religions. So that was a mix of all this Persian kingdom. And when you have different people group, different languages, different ethnicities and different religion, maintaining the support and loyalty is not an easy task. So this intention of this banquet by Agasuras was to give the guests the confidence that Agasuras had the strength and the resources to defeat Greece and he would surely reward them, those who support him in his endeavor. So, what he has done is, Agasuras has invited the nobles, the officials, the military leaders and the prince and the governors of the provinces to his banquet and he wants to impress anyone, everyone there that he is under control, he has the power, he has the wealth, he can do everything he is capable of and that is why that banquet was organized. And did you read how many days the banquet went? The banquet happened for 180 days. It was not a three-day fair. It was not a weekly fair. It was a banquet of 180 days. And he wanted to see the royal invitees to see firsthand that he was capable of undertaking great tasks such like a six-month banquet. <laughs> and during those 180 days, the royal treasure was on display and it was meant to impress the influential visitors that King Agasuras had the wealth befitting his position as the king of the kingdom and also he had everything under his control. So the more lavish was the king's hospitality, the greater was his claim to supremacy, the greater was his claim to control and power and that was why he had a banquet for 180 days, 6 months.
a banquet for all the people for all the people the officials the leaders the governors and everyone he had a banquet for 180 days and after the first banquet of 6 months was over the king arranged a second banquet and for this banquet he invited from the least to the greatest in the in this country for the first banquet was for officials and governors and all those big people and after that there is another banquet in the second banquet is invited from the least to the greatest in the country and again we know that there will be thousands of people in that banquet and the king wanted to show everyone in this kingdom that he had the power and how was that you read here the decoration the food the wine the cups which in which the wine was served they belonged to a class that the world had never seen before that was a class and the king also passed an edict that no one should be compelled and everyone was free to drink as much as he wants what a foolish thing to say don't compel anyone let them drink as they want and that was the king's edict so he wanted everyone to be impressed and therefore he is having such a ban- banquet first the banquet of 6 months and then another banquet for the ordinary people so what ahasuerus is doing is he is giving a picture of a man who is incomparable powerful and invincible a person nothing can escape his attention and is a person who can take even the note of the minor details just like how much a person can drink or not drink so such was the impression that he wanted to give to the people now this banquet is all men are there now there is another banquet is happening and that is for women and that is presided by queen vashti king agasuras had a banquet and queen vashti has another banquet banquet for them so during this banquet plenty of wine had flowed and the king agasuras also had a share of that wine and as the end of this the banquet the seventh banquet was happening coming to a drawing to a close now the king calls his seven eunuchs and he tells them bring queen vashti to me with a royal crown over her head what is his command to the eunuchs bring queen vashti to me with a royal crown over her head we do not know what was the intention of the king did he think that probably when the queen comes in a royal glory that will inspire patriotism and loyalty we do not know bible does not say that we are not even told that the king was drunk but what we are told is the king's heart was merry and let me read the verse 10th verse <coughs> On the seventh day, when the king, heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs to bring Queen Vashti. So, when the king's heart was merry, 
he commanded the eunuchs to bring queen vashti to him though the queen king was not drunk nevertheless the king's heart was merry and the writer wants us to notice that the king being merry was something which led to his invite to the queen vashti because the king was merry the king's judgment was impaired and because he was the judgment was impaired he gave the command for the queen to come before him it doesn't say he was drunk it says he was merry and then it says he commanded eunuchs to bring the queen to him we read here that they had separate functions separate parties the men and women were separate and that was the custom of the persians and not only that even now in the middle east you can see that custom prevailing in many countries so in a custom where men and women were separate it would have been demeaning for the queen to appear before a, a drunken crowd not just a crowd a drunken crowd queen appearing with a crown will be demeaning so by his command king ahasuerus has reduced vashti into an object which existed just for his pleasure she was the queen but king ahasuerus has reduced her to an object for his pleasure he had reduced her to as a trophy to be shown off as a uh, as a glory to the people there and queen vashti rightly refused to do that she did not want to be treated like that and she refused the king's command Agasuras the mighty king was just plain mad imagine how humiliating it would have been for king agasuras his whole purpose in having this banquet for 6 months followed by all his banquets was to impress the people that he had great wealth and power and he had command over everything everything was under his authority and therefore the people when he wages war with greece will join hands with him but now it has been revealed that the king does not have authority even in his own palace the king does not have authority even over his king and therefore now agasuerus is mad queen vashti's defense could not be overlooked if it had happened in private probably agasuerus may have tried to hush it up there might have been a private reconciliation probably queen vashti may have apologized to him in private they could have just sorted out the issue but this was a public defense the king's new eunuchs knew that vashti had disobeyed the king she had refused probably the people in the banquet knew that the king had commanded vashti to appear before him and she had refused so now agasuerus the king goes to his the wise men and asks them what can be done according to vashti according to the law here's the law he wants to follow the law and he goes to his wise men and says tell me what can be done to queen vashti according to the law 
And among all those people, there is a guy called Memukan. And for some reason, that guy, that person, makes it something big. He blows it out of proportion. Memukan comes and says, King, by your disobedience, what Queen Vashti has done is, she has not only gone wrong against you, she has wronged the officials and she has wronged the people in the kingdom. So this is Memukan saying to the king, by her disobedience, King Vashti has disobeyed you and she has gone against the officials and she has gone against the people of this kingdom. So Memukan imagined a terrible consequence. He has said that the women in this kingdom, the noble women and the ordinary women here about Vashti's behavior, they would also treat their husbands in a similar manner. And there would be contempt and wrath in plenty. He says, if this report goes away, then all the husbands in this country are finished. Because the wives will now take control in their hand. And that is the reason he is giving. And therefore he comes with the suggestion that Vashti who refused to come before the king must be banished. And not only just banished, and her position should be given to another woman who was better than her. And the king must make sure that this rule was known to all the women in the kingdom so that when they see the harsh consequences following the disobedience, they would respect their husband. And the king was pleased with this advice. What a foolish king he is. He was pleased with the advice of Memukan and he implemented the foolish advice of the king, of the uh, Memukan, by sending letters to all the 127 provinces. And that is what we read in this book of Esther. Now, what do we understand and what is the application we get from this chapter? Here is a drunken king and here is a queen who has said no to him. And that is what we, this book, the first chapter is all about. I want to analyze the situation and the characters in this first chapter and draw some applications. For the Jews who were living in the kingdom, the Persian kingdom, when they heard about the king's drunkenness and the removal of Vashti, it would not have mattered to them. Change in queen? Who cares? Whether Vashti is there or not, who cares? Their concern would have been, what is the price of wheat in the market? Their concern is about something more vital and they are not going to care about whether it is queen Vashti or there. They are not concerned about that. They would not have been bothered about this ordinary incident which happens in this kingdom. But only with the benefit of hindsight, it is possible to see the intricate design of God's plan in this. 
again I repeat only with hindsight or benefit of hindsight it is possible to see the intricate design of God's plan in this so also in our lives we may have no idea what God is doing in our lives here we see that it was God's will that through Esther the Jews would be saved from annihilation and but for Esther to become the queen but for that to happen Esther has to become the queen we are not even touched the character of Esther so far in the first chapter but for the Jews to be saved from annihilation Esther has to become the queen she has to come into the palace as a queen but for Esther to become the queen Vashti has to go and for Vashti has to go certain things have to happen and the king sets in motion a chain of events that culminate in the deliverance of God's people and in the drunkenness the king foolishly demands that Vashti apply, appears before him in a, in a beauty and with that he sets in motion a chain of events which he doesn't understand or which he cannot stop that is what is happening when the king makes a demand like that he sets in motion something which he is not aware of and only in hindsight we know what God is doing here notice that the king was not requesting Vashti to come before him he was summoning his queen and Agasuras was known to be a ruthless king history gives an example of his ruthlessness we are told a few years later Agasuras ordered a bridge to be built for the army and after the bridge was built there was a storm that destroyed the bridge and do you know what was the reaction of Agasuras he said behead all those people who built the bridge because the bridge has been destroyed and that was a, a ruthless king and it was this ruthless king who said who commanded that queen Vashti appear him before him and if that was a kingdom where we see later on that even if a queen was to appear before the king without his summons the queen can be put to death unless the king raises his royal scepter and that is the king of persia kingdom of persia and that is the kingdom ruled by agasuras and agasuras is giving a command that the queen appears before him and she does not appear before him she disobeys him so in this case even though queen vashti's summoning was not reasonable it was too dangerous to say no to agasuras because to saying no to agasuras means death did queen vashti realize when she said no that her actions will change a life forever we do not know probably she may have thought probably she may not have thought about that but she would not have known one thing that once she says no to that 
Esther is going to become the queen in her place. That was something which Queen Vashti did not know. She may have known even that saying no to the king may invite death. But what she didn't know that once she says no, that will start a process where God is going to bring Esther in a place. And you wonder why such a woman like Queen Vashti, a person with a defiant spirit was there. Any other woman in Vashti's place would have thought twice before saying no to the king. But here we find in the book of Esther, there is Queen Vashti who has the courage, the guts to say no to King Agasuras. And what was a, a small affair, a small issue between the king and the queen finally became an empire-shaking crisis. And why did Memukan blow this issue out of proportion? It was a small issue. And also Memukan was taking a risk when he suggested to the king that Vashti should be banished. Suppose King Agasuras is not happy with the suggestion because he loved Vashti very much. What he would have done? He would have put Memukan to death. But Memukan for some reason gave a suggestion to the king not knowing that the king will accept that Queen Vashti should be banished and that pleased the king. So here we find first that King Agasuras made a stupid mistake and then we find that Vashti was defiant enough and then we find Memukan coming with a full suggestion all these things are happening but only with the benefit of hindsight we know all these things are why these things are happening God is working behind the scene God is here working out the will through the action of Agasuras, through the action of Vashti, through the action of Memukan and in doing so God is not violating the free will of either of these people the choices which they people made were willing choices and they were accountable for the choices. Agasuras was responsible for his choice, Vashti was responsible for her choice and Memukan was responsible for his choice. All these choices were of free will but through these choices what we see is God is working out his will for his people. God uses all things to fulfill his purposes. Even the evil for his glory and for his good. He uses the courage of Vashti. He uses the foolishness of Memukan. He uses the drunken of Agasuras to do his will. And all these people were pagan worshippers. Remember, these were not followers of Yahweh. These were all pagan worshippers. And God uses all these pagan worshippers to fulfill his will. God can use the noble people, God can use the evil people. God can use the good-hearted and the wise, God can use the ordinary people, God can use the sinful people to fulfill His purposes. And that is what we are seeing here in the book of Esther. And do you notice what is the occasion when all this started? This was not a religious assembly. It was not a gathering of a church when Agasuras came with the suggestion. This was not a prayer meeting. This was a feast 
to give glory to the kingdom of Agasuras. It was a feast marked by drunken revelry. And this drunken revelry, instead of defeating the designs of God, was fulfilling the purposes of sovereign God, where he can use any event, any gathering, whether it is a worldly assembly or an assembly of a false religion or an assembly of the church to fulfill his purposes. God can use any person, any purpose, any place to fulfill his purposes and that is what we see here. It was a drunken revelry but in the drunken revelry that decision which took started a cycle of action which is not going to stop. It is going to complete its course. And also you notice God's provision and foreknowledge. This banquet and the banishment of Vashti took place in the third year of the reign of King Agasuras. At this point of history in Persian kingdom, the Jews were not in risk. They had no risk to the lives. Haman the villain will come later on, will come only during the twelfth year of the king of Agasuras. There are still nine more years. For those nine more years, there is no problem to the peace of the Jews in Persia. But even nine years before something happens, what God is doing is, God is preparing a situation where Esther will finally become the queen. So we have a God who foreknows everything. And he takes steps before the deliverance of the Jews, even things before happen. So this God of the Bible is not an after-event God who acts in response to human initiative. We have a God who foreknows. We have a God who provides for his people even before the events happen. As you remember the familiar verse in Genesis where Joseph declares, As for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that people should be kept alive as they are today. People's intentions were evil, but even before that, God prepared Joseph to come before to Egypt here. So God knew that. And he knew that one time the children of Jacob had to be brought to Egypt and before that he brought Joseph, prepared them and brought Joseph before that. So what we see here is when Agasuras puts on display his pride, his pomp and power to reassure his people, the question which comes to us is, is Agasuras in the throne? Is Agasuras in the throne? No. It is God who is on the throne. It is not Agasuras who is on the throne. It is God who is on the throne. And the next question we may ask is, if God is on the throne, why don't we see evidence of it? The truth is, while the Persian king was flamboyant, Persian king was not in control. But God is subtle and he is in absolute control. Whether we see it or not, whether we recognize it or not, it is God who is orchestrating every event which was happening in the Persian kingdom 
just as he is orchestrating every event which is happening in this world today. Why? Because it will serve God's greater purpose. We may not see it, we may not realize it. The people in the time of Esther may not have known that was happening, but behind when because we have the benefit of that, now we can look at and say, hey, God was orchestrating all these things. Agasaras gave a picture of a powerful person. Agasaras gave a picture of a person who is incomparable, powerful, and invincible. But it took a woman to prove that Agasuras was not really a person in power. It took a woman to shake his foundation, to shake the foundation of the Persian kingdom. It was just a woman who shook the foundation of 127 provinces though. Agasuras was giving a picture that he was all powerful. So it becomes very clear that though Agasuras seems to have 127 provinces under him, he is not the king of the world. God is the king of the world. God is the one who truly rules on the throne. The largest and the most powerful kingdoms in the world are ultimately nothing in the light of God's power and sovereignty. That is what we see in the book of Esther. And God's kingdom is not like the kingdom of Agasuras. God doesn't use people for his own purpose as if they are disposable commodities. Agasuras treated his wife as a disposable commodity, but God does not treat his people as disposable commodities. While Agasuras shamed his queen, God does not shame his bride, but lavishes grace and mercy on his bride. Unlike Agasuras who wanted his beautiful bride to satisfy his pleasure, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, gave his life for the bride, gave his life for those who were dead in transgressions and made them his bride. That is what we see here. See how Agasura is treating his bride and Jesus treating his bride, the church. For the church he gave his life. He brought them back from the dead and that is what the real king is all about. Now, I again want to raise those people here in our midst who have not yet come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. How can we not joyfully respond to the call of the righteous king who loved us free? Queen Vashti had a reason why she did not respond to the king. Because the king's command was wrong. The king's command was foolish. The king's command reduced her to an object of pleasure. Vashti was right in saying that. No. But as people who have not known the grace of Jesus Christ, again I want you to think this morning. Do we have any reason not to respond to the call of Jesus Christ? Look at the call of the invitation from Jesus Christ. It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who despises take the water of life without price. And that is the invitation from Jesus. 
people can defy people can say no to Ahasuerus because that was a command without any logic that was a foolish command that was a command without any love but in case of Jesus that invitation is filled with love he was the one who gave his life for the bride and he is making that invitation and is there any reason for a person not to respond to that call from Jesus Christ who says come unto me all who are heavy burden and I will give you rest have you responded to his call to come to you come to him it is the height of folly to refuse that invitation if you refuse like Vashti who was banished from the king's presence ever you will also face a similar thing Vashti never got a second invitation is there any guarantee that you who have not yet responded to the king the invitation of king Jesus Christ will give us get a second invitation I do not know but my pleading with you is do not delay Jesus Christ is inviting you do not delay and what we see in the Bible is eventually God's kingdom with Christ and king will bring all the empires of the world to the knees as we read in the book of Revelation the kingdom of the world has come the kingdom of our Lord and Jesus Christ Lord and of Christ and he shall reign forever and ever the kingdom of God the kingdom of Christ will one day publicly or visibly reign everything and that is the kingdom which is going to come and that is an invitation which Jesus Christ even now is giving come unto me come unto me come unto me and if you have not responded to that invitation I am saying do not delay let's look to God in prayer God our Heavenly Father we thank you for uh, this book of Esther which you have given to us we pray Lord that as we read this book of Esther and as we spend the time in meditating on this book I pray that you may speak to each and every one of us Lord I pray Lord that we in this gathering in this assembly may respond to the call of Jesus Christ and if there is anyone here who has not yet responded to that call of Jesus Christ I pray Lord that they may not delay I pray Lord that they may realize that they may not have a second chance and I pray Lord that they may throw themselves up to the call of Jesus Christ and come to him Lord again I thank you for this time in Jesus name I pray Amen